Welcome to Strictly Facts, a guide to Caribbean history and culture, hosted by me, Alexandria Miller. Strictly Facts teaches the history, politics, and activism of the Caribbean and connects these themes to contemporary music and popular culture. Welcome, everyone. I hope you are doing well. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Strictly Facts, a guide to Caribbean history and culture. One thing I've always prided this show on is uncovering, or rather recovering, stories and facts about the Caribbean that often go untold. So if I mention names to you like dancehall artist Sean Paul or cricketer Ivan Barrow, what immediately comes to mind? Outside of them both being from the Caribbean, they are also both of Jewish descent. A fact that is surprising to many, the origins of Jewish Caribbeans stem as far back as the 15th and 16th centuries, especially with Jewish communities being founded from across the region with large populations in Barbados, Curacao, Jamaica, and Suriname, to name a few. Sharing knowledge is such an integral part of Strictly Facts, and as such, we have an amazing guest with us, Ainsley Henriquez, Jewish Jamaican genealogist and administrator of the Sharei Shalom Synagogue in Kingston, Jamaica, as well as Israel's Honorary Consul in Jamaica. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ainsley. What a pleasure it is to have you on our show today. It's my pleasure. So thank you. Oh, of course. As I mentioned, you know, many don't know this sort of longer history of Jewish Caribbean, you know, history, stories, etc. But why don't we begin with your family's own history and arrival to Jamaica and what sparked your interest in genealogy? Well, certainly I'd be happy to do that. I can trace my family as a genealogist back to fleeing from Lisbon in 1492, ending up in Istanbul, being able to practice Judaism. I also am a descendant of one of the sons of a Rabbi Isaac Belinfante, who came to Jamaica in the 1700s as a Hebrew teacher. So the idea that Judaism and Hebrew were part and parcel of a group of people living in Jamaica for over 350 years is really fact, not fiction. Now, when you look at the history of the names in Jamaica, you will find that we have hundreds of thousands of Jamaicans who are primarily Christian, who have Jewish ancestry. And that's nothing wrong with that. We do not condemn them for it. In fact, I even praise them for having a Jewish ancestor. So that's part of it. And I also share with them the history and the records of the Hebrew Bible. So it's not a question of uh, anti-Semitism. In fact, I would argue whilst we're on the subject or the name of anti-Semitism, that Jamaica has the least anti-Semitic activity of all the countries I watch throughout the world. And I've been involved with this for over 50 years. Where where did the rest of my family come from? Mm -hmm. Um, Primarily Portugal, but at the same time, I do have a grandmother that turned up as a refugee from the Ukraine uh, in the 19th century, late 19th century. So yes, and she ended up living in Jamaica for over 70 years. So that's a whole nother story of of something else, okay? And then if you really want to add a little bit more excitement to it, I will tell you that my late wife was ethnically part Chinese, part African, part Scottish. So when my children were going to college, they said, Daddy, who are we? And I said, the answer is simply, A-L-L. All of it, all of it, a very big mixture. 
that's a feature of Jamaica. And that's one of the very strong features that we are very proud of, that we are really out of many one culture. I didn't say one people, I said one culture, because I don't think that the concept of people overrides the mm. concept of ethnicity. I think we recognize that we all share the same tastes, the same clothes, the same diet, the same this, the same that, out of one culture. Mm. Beautifully said. Thank you. So jumping a bit into this larger history, Jewish history in Latin America and the Caribbean first begins um, on some end with the conversos or Spanish and Portuguese Jews who for some of them were forcibly converted to Catholicism and later migrated across Europe and then further west ending up in the Caribbean. Could you walk us a bit through this history of Jewish migration to the Caribbean, um, maybe even in particular nations like Jamaica or Suriname or Cuba? Well, you made it absolutely clear that that was really the beginning of the migration out of fleeing from the Inquisition, the forced conversion or the forced religious beliefs that were instituted by Ferdinand and Isabella after the Battle of Granada and when they kicked out the Moors and the Jews. And so, yes, we do go back that far. And we were in some instances, when we fled to Portugal, we were forcibly baptized and we became conversos. And yes, I don't have an apology. I think some of my family were practicing Catholics at one stage of their history. So that's not a major problem. And because the idea that you can be Jewish or you can be Catholic or of any belief system is up to you, the person, not the blood that you run through your veins. And that's really what this, I think is very important for us to understand. So yes, we, we ended up in these countries because there were a variety of changes in Europe that allowed us to settle in these countries. And that's really the big important part. The Dutch were extraordinarily uh, recognizing the right of people to worship as they wish. So Curacao, Suriname uh, were two of the major settlements. And of course, before that, it was Recife in Brazil. And that was the first major settlement of Jews in the Americas. Most of the Americas were Spanish. And then the English started capturing some of these islands and Jamaica was captured in 1655. And by the 1656, they allowed Jews to settle in Jamaica officially. Now, there's a big argument that will go on for the rest of my life and maybe another couple of generations as to whether there were Jews in Jamaica before, under the Spanish, before the British captured or the English captured Jamaica. And yes, it is very possible that there were people who practiced Judaism privately, because before 1655, 1656, no person was allowed to practice Judaism openly, because it was then a country which was under control of the Cologne family on behalf of the Spanish government. So we have that issue. And when people argue with me that they don't know what the history of Spanish Jamaica is, I can tell them, come to the Jamaican National Heritage Trust at 79 Duke Street, and you can buy the Morales Padron book, Spanish Jamaica. It is the tome of the history of the people of Jamaica prior to the English capture. I will definitely include that as our Strictly Facts syllabus. One thing you said, I think that is very important and that has also come out through episodes that I've had just on more contemporary histories, especially of the Dutch Caribbean, like in Curacao and in Suriname, is that distinguishing point between the Dutch being very more open to 
you know, religions and religious openness. Even that also brings me to the fact that Curacao's very interesting Jewish Caribbean history, even having some of the oldest synagogues in the Caribbean as well. Oldest in the Americas. Yes, thank you for that. I know them very well. But there are also many sites, right? Um, first that comes to mind is the Hunts Bay Cemetery in Jamaica. And there are countless other markers of early Jewish history within the region. I even came across a book, Jewish Treasures of the Caribbean by Wyatt Gallery, um, right. that documents many of them. So given this ex the existence of many of these sites, could you walk us through you know, what is to really be learned about this early history? Well, the early history of, the, of Jamaica under the English, and, and, and I have to repeat one very interesting thing. The English were no longer royalty when Jamaica was captured. It was a Commonwealth which was run by Cromwell. And Cromwell became a very close friend of Manasseh ben Israel, who was a Dutch rabbi in Amsterdam. And as a result of that, the change in way Cromwell thought about the role of Jews in, in the English countries changed significantly from the role that the crown or the royalty in England, because as a result of 1290, all Jews were expelled from England. So there was no Jews in England prior to 1655, officially that is, okay? I'm not speaking about those that I don't know about. So it's as simple as that. So again, Cromwell was an important uh, role player for us to be able to settle. And the first place we settled was in Port Royal. Why? Because the English understood something that we still haven't understood, that we have one of the, se the seventh largest natural harbor in the world. Kingston Harbor. And we have to use it much more effectively than we have been using it over the 300 odd years. So Port Royal became the center and it became not only the center for the protection of the harbor, but also the center for the, the commercialism that the British brought to the Caribbean. So Port Royal was an important place for both business and unfortunately, because of the, of the interest in being able to grow sugar for export to Europe. Remember before sugar, you know, before sugar, all Europe had was honey. And before that, they were able to manage to get a little sugar out of North Africa. And they understood now that the word slave came out of slabs, which they used in Europe to be able to grow sugar. So eventually what happened to us in Jamaica is that the British decided that they wanted to have more labor in the business of growing sugar. And so they imported the Africans in slavery as enslaved people to grow sugar. And, and that's a whole nother story, which we have to understand in its connotations as how it has evolved. Okay, the good news, and I speak as a Jew, that once we were slaves in Egypt, we are no longer slaves. Once we were slaves in Jamaica, we are no longer slaves. It's time we make up our mind that this country of it and we have nowhere else to go. Beautifully said, beautifully said. I think one thing that also came to mind as you were talking was this connectedness between histories and how that, you know, even continues out to today. And so I read a recent study that estimated um, that over 400,000 Jamaicans are descendants of Jewish immigrants who settled on the island. And so as a genealogist, what has your research uncovered about these Jewish Caribbean connections and how might one go about learning more um, possibly about their Jewish ancestry? 
Well, the history of the Jews of Jamaica is in itself a story that has been told called the Portuguese Jews of Jamaica, which I'm privileged to have had published for my mentor, who was then the late ambassador Mordecai Arbel. And he spent a lot of time in researching Jewish history in the Caribbean. So that exists. And it is primarily the Portuguese names that he worked with, because we were the first, shall we say, settlers that practiced Judaism. Okay? Now, let me put it another way. Not very many Jewish men turned up in Jamaica with wives and children. So I think the natural process of how people live is that they found women and partners in the existing local community. Cool? So when you start to look at what took place, you're also recognizing that Judaism or the relationship between men and women was quite significant. And as a result of the restrictions that Jews may have had to accept people who were not born to be Jews, was that many people became Catholic or Christian, mainly Christian initially. And as a result of that, we have hundreds of thousands of Jamaicans who are in all shapes and sizes and forms and places coming from Jewish families, including the fact that some of them are major players in Christian religion. So what's wrong with that? The answer is nothing. And recognizing whom we are is an important part of being comfortable with the idea that there was nothing anti-Semitic on who we have emerged from. So what is my story? My late wife was a Catholic, went to church, and eventually, after we married, determined that what she was going to do was convert to Judaism, and she did. And when she died, she's buried in Orange Street in a Jewish grave. So it didn't change anything. It never destroyed cemetery. It never gave her a dis disgrace. It was a whole recognition that took place in her lifetime and with her death. In fact, I go further. She traveled the Caribbean and Central America with me as my wife when I was active in Caribbean and Central American Jewish activities. And she was very popular, much more popular than I was because she was a beautiful woman. I think that really, you know, highlights the work that's being done by organizations like the Jamaican Jewish Cemeteries Preservation Fund and other such organizations where you can really trace back certain records and archives to do that sort of recovery work of people's own lineages. The concept of genealogy and family history is no longer a restrictive opportunity. It is much more widely open now. And, and you mentioned Hunts Bay, and Hunts Bay was really the cemetery in which Jews could be buried across the harbor because Port Royal, if you started to dig a hole in Port Royal, you ran into salt water and you couldn't bury anybody in salt water. So Hunts Bay from the earliest known recorded grave is 1672. That's a long time ago. And the name of that family was Gabay, which is an important Jewish name. And you have Jamaicans today who have the name Gabay and may have been descended from that family. And, you know, so be it. So Hunts Bay was an important cemetery. Spanish town became a major center for Jews living in Jamaica after the earthquake of 1692. And as a result, Spanish town has remaining three cemeteries. 
So that's part and parcel of another story. And then as Jews settled around the island, then small cemeteries were created to be able to bury them because otherwise you have to get in a house and buggy and carry the body back to Kingston to bury them somewhere in Kingston. And I happened to be from an exclusive community where there was no cemetery for Jews. I come from Morant Bay. I'm not a Kingstonian. I am Morant Bay, St. Thomas born Jamaican and proud of it. And I come from near Stony Gut. So yes, one of my two heroes is Paul Bogle. So there you are. That's a quick fix on where I've been and where I come from. And I did start with growing bananas. My early life was understanding the growing of bananas. And yes, if you really want to test me, I am a Taliban, trained Taliban. And only difference between me and my cousin Harry is that he can sing, I can't. If anybody did not get that reference, I will put it in our show notes. I got the <laughs> reference. <laughs> Um, one other question I wanted to ask, though, of course, is the fact that moving away from this early history, of course, right, how does Jewish life then or, you know, practicing Jews in Jamaica then become what we sort of know as today? I know there are um, a few synagogues in practice like the Sharei Shalom. Um, and so what are some ways to learn more about Jewish history today? There is only one synagogue left in Jamaica of any consequence with the history of its people, what is the Shari Shalom Synagogue. And at the Shari Shalom Synagogue, we created a museum. So there is a history there that people can visit and go through. We used to run tours of that, particularly for school children, for the reason that it's no longer is because of COVID. So we can't gather the people there. Uh, we are now working on looking at other aspects of how we can share our knowledge, and that includes live streaming. And that's something that I also plan to be working with. I did the first live stream in October on the Norman Washington Manley Program of the Award for Excellence, and it's available on YouTube. So it really became a new story that you don't have to be there. You can go there. And the use of technology is something I think we're going to have to depend more on, more on as we go through the changes that are taking place. So the histories are there to a certain extent. The genealogy is improved for the purposes of those of us who practice, three or four of us that practice the genealogy, um, because I just finished coming off another program called The Sephardic World, and we had actually a discussion on the so-called famous book of Eddie Kritzler called The Jewish Pirates of the Caribbean. And that was written in Jamaica. In fact, I go further. It's written in my house to a large extent because my wife used to tell Eddie, if you don't finish your book, you can't get any breakfast. So, <laughs> so that's a whole other story in which I've been involved with. Yes, I have a lot of stories, a lot of stories. I'm also very interested about the different connections between you know, Jewish communities across the Caribbean. So what are some of the ways... Um, more contemporarily that, you know, maybe Jewish communities in Jamaica and in Curacao and Suriname, et cetera, in Barbados are all coming together now? They're coming together to a certain extent because one of the things which uh, we do have is what is known as a Jewish lodge, B'nai B'rith. Uh, it was very active 50, 40 years ago, and I was very active in it. I, in fact, I was vice president for the Caribbean and Central America. So I literally knew everybody in 10 countries. It was quite an amazing experience. Today, it's not quite as active for the simple reason that you can communicate 
with technology today that you don't necessarily have to go and visit and sit down with and talk to. So, you know, there are all sorts of aspects to that, which has changed. And the other part of it is that a lot of migration has taken place and a lot of integration has taken place, assimilation rather. So yes, we have a lot of people who have, were Jewish, were from fat Jewish families who are no longer practicing as Jews, not disrespected, but at the same time, more comfortable with practicing the religion of their, of their spouses in particular, or what they determined, which is a more comfortable way of believing in God. So I'm not quarreling with them, but that's part of what has happened. And in a similar way, also the opportunities that have been created for people, in particular the younger people, when they go away to college to find economic opportunities that allow them or encourage them to stay away. So that's part of the problem. And it's not, a, it's not just a problem which we have for, for people of Jewish origin. It's a problem we have for young people full stop in the Caribbean. Something like 70 odd percent of all the people who graduate from the University of the West Indies don't stay. They go. Now, okay, so how do we bring them back? How do we create the opportunities to bring, to bring them into, back into the country? How do we able to create roles within the various religious organizations in which they can practice the religion. We have a lot of challenges in front of us. I'm not going to bore you with all the, what I think are the suggestions this afternoon, because you know we'll be here till night. But there are ways I believe that we can do, because I'm old enough to have grown up when we still had villages, when the children were raised by a village. But what happened is simply that with the decline in, in, in employment, Men had to seek alternative opportunities and the villages were to a very large extent destroyed. And we never put in place the kind of social facilities that should have been put in place in the villages to encourage people to stay and grow in their own villages. So that's my short story. If you want a long story, call me again for that. You know, what you mentioned about Jewish populations coming together, I think is a really important fact today. So I know you also mentioned the live stream, so I will definitely link that for our podcast listeners. I do have to ask my final question, one of my favorite questions of the podcast. One thing that is oftentimes so beautiful to me is the way that our art, our music, plays, novels, etc., are also places where we can locate our history very beautifully, very creatively. And so what are some examples that highlight Jewish Caribbean history, potentially in popular culture, in music, in film, etc.? I have to tell you that I'm going to change the subject on you slightly, because part of what my background has been, and a co-founder of the Bath Bread Food Festival, Part of another part of my background is the Comento Festival we put on at license. Okay, Comento. Okay, that's Comento. So again, I'm not talking about any Hebrew hymns. I'm talking about our culture because my culture is broader. My cultural experience, my cultural background. I may not look partly African, but that's not an issue. It is Jamaican culture. So I think that's really what's important for us to understand. So the specificity of Jamaican Jewish recognition is not a real recognition for Jamaican Jews other than it's a tradition that comes from Spain. 
and Portugal, because technically we have been what is called Sephardim, people from Sephardim, and that is primarily from Spain and Portugal. We don't have that majority of people whose earlier origins were Eastern Europe. That is a major activity that takes place in the United States of America and has very little to do with us, except my grandmother. And she quickly gave up that and became a sufferer herself. So that's another story. Although she grew up in an Orthodox home in, in a village in the, in the Ukraine. So again, we're talking about a plurality and a mobility. That's what I think is one of our strengths. And that very many people who are Jewish can speak to this relation, these range of relationships and expressions that I'm sharing with you. So I think this is an important concept, right? And of course, people will look at me and say, well, where you come from? I said, well, I don't know about what you said, but I know the government of Jamaica appointed me many times to become chairman of the Jamaica National Heritage Trust. So yes, I look African. Yes, of course, I feel African when I feel I want to feel African and I feel Jewish when I want to feel Jewish. I don't really care. I am a Jamaican, full stop. Oyago, stay tuned for Strictly Fact Sounds, where we connect our history to pop culture. Ainsley offered us perhaps one of the most resonant responses on the celebration of our diverse Caribbean lineage and history. I'd be remiss, though, if I didn't offer our listeners some resources to check out in the interim. If you're looking for a few more on Jewish-Caribbean connections specifically, take a look first at the Jewish Virtual Library website, which features a regional tour on Jewish life in the Caribbean. There have also been so many books published on the subject, including, as I mentioned, Wyatt Gallery's Jewish Treasures of the Caribbean, The Legacy of Judaism in the New World, which features photographs of the oldest Jewish sites in the Western Hemisphere. Also, Remnant Stones by Aviva Benner and Rachel Frankel, which historicizes Jewish migration to Suriname since the 17th century. And lastly, Once Jews by Josette Goldish, which captures stories of everyday Jewish Caribbean people across the region. You know, as you said, we are many of one culture. And so despite the fact that we, um, as a people, may have Spanish ancestry, Irish ancestry, Jewish ancestry, African ancestry, you know, and so on and so on and so on. We are all still of one culture, as you said so beautifully. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciated you sharing so much with us today and for our listeners as well for tuning in. As always, I will have links to many of Ainsley Henriquez's mentioned documents and organizations in our Strictly Facts podcast syllabus. We hope you learned a bit of new about Caribbean history today, and we look forward to sharing with you more. Little more, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Strictly Facts. Visit strictlyfactspodcast.com for more information from each episode. Follow us at Strictly Facts Pod on Instagram and Facebook and at Strictly Facts PD on Twitter.